You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simi, and on this edition of The Social Club, I'm delighted to be joined, first of all, by Mr. Simon Alavi. How are you, sir? Yeah, nice. <laughs> good how are you yeah all good mate all good mate if you're listening on the audio and wondering why we're cracking up with laughter uh mr deluca our resident spurs man is uh hiding his face and to be fair that's good team, for the ladies yeah yeah there's that and if my team turned in a performance like that at the weekend i'd be feeling exactly i think it's the same. anthony joshua in hiding <laughs> it looks a little bit different uh ddl welcome to the show mate how are you can I, come, can I come out now? You can come out now. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been behind the there. I've been behind there for three and a half days. It's getting a bit, <laughs> getting a bit stuffy. How's it going? How you? How are you coping? Because, look, we've spent a lot of time this week talking about how good Arsenal were. And I think that's right. I think Arsenal deserved the praise. But that doesn't mean that Tottenham weren't absolutely abysmal. On Sunday, that is as bad a Tottenham performance in a North London derby as I've probably ever seen. So, how have you been coping with it over the last sort of what three days, four days? It's just it, it is what it is. I think it's easier when you play badly in one hat on one hand to take the defeat, and then it's the days after, two days after, where you get more annoyed because if you play badly, there's no there's no sign, there's nothing positive to cling to, is there? I think it hurts more. It hurts more at the time when you play well and lose, which Tottenham teams in the past did against Arsenal. Um, on this occasion, it was just a disgusting performance, wasn't it? It really so, um, was, wasn't it? We'll, we'll come on to talk a little bit about the derby uh, in a in a few moments, but I wanted to kick off the show by talking about something that kind of came to my attention a little bit earlier on today. Now we already brought you a live stream. Uh, earlier on on Wednesday, we brought you that stream where we talked about the news that Granite Xhaka will be missing for Arsenal for three months. That's a huge, huge blow to Mikel Arteta, you have to say, because it, although he divides opinion amongst the Arsenal fans, he is undeniably a key part of Mikel Arteta's plan. So to be without him now means that we're basically just one more injury away from having a really poor midfield. And it's worrying. You know, it's a real, real concern. There's been a lot of talk about that, but actually something that's maybe gone a little bit under the radar over the last sort of 24 hours is some comments that Bern Leno made in an interview with Sport Build in Germany. Now, he was told, uh, he was quoted as saying, when asked why he wasn't in, included in goal for the North London Derby and why he hasn't been playing as the number one, he said, there was no clear reason why I was out basically suggesting that he was not explained to. Aladdin? Yep, yeah, we're all here. Don't worry. I think it just uh, yeah. dropped for a second. He said, there was no clear reason why I was out, but it had nothing to do with my performance. 
He, meaning Arteta, is the trainer. He decides, of course, but it's difficult for me. He then went on to say London is very nice. Milan is not bad either. And closer to my home, Stuttgart, almost kind of saying that he's got plans to go to Milan. It was absolutely crazy. Then he said, but I'm not seriously thinking about that yet. I feel comfortable at Arsenal and in London. Only if nothing changes in my situation by the winter would I have to think about things. Now, I'll come to you first, Alavi, on this because Arsenal have won four consecutive fixtures, three of which Aaron Ramsdale has been the goalkeeper for. Now, the one that he wasn't in, in between the sticks for was that win over AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup. But Aaron Ramsdale has not put a foot wrong. I'm finding it hard to understand, first of all, why Bern Leno feels that after two seasons of constantly making mistakes that he is was A, untouchable, and B, what good he thinks these making these kind of comments are, are going to do him. I mean, if I was a, a professional goalkeeper, and I'd like to think that I'd try and remain as professional as possible at all times, I would say, well, this is the manager's decision. This is what he's decided to do. Aaron, my teammate, has been fantastic. And now it's on me to work hard and get my place back. Making cryptic comments like this and suggesting that he wants to go to Milan and talking about maybe rethinking his situation in the winter. For me, that just reeks of a, a lack of professionalism. What's your take on Yeah, and it, on these it's comments? slightly arrogant as all, but I think goalkeepers, it's one of those few positions. Well, it's the only position that... <laughs> you have the balance between you're the number one keeper and you will literally have to throw the ball in the back of your net 20 times for someone, for the number two to take your, um, to take your position. Or you do what I think Artel is trying to do and actually instigate some sort of competition between the two. So when one goalkeeper is in a series of games where your team loses, it's only natural that the other one comes in. And if that, goalkeeper then does pretty well then regardless of whether he's coming from Sheffield United he's then got the right to stay there so why he feels he's got this sense of entitlement to say well I wasn't given an explanation as to why well you don't the explanation is there in the results that's pretty clear the only thing I've read that probably slightly contradicts that is I just read in what this may or may not be true that actually he was told that he was being arrested and his place was assured for the North London derby. That's probably not true, but that's the only thing I can think that has made him feel, well, you know, I, I was entitled to start um, the North London derby game. With the, the comments in Milan are bizarre. I don't know if he's hitching for Milan because obviously their goalkeeper, um, is it Handanovic? He's, re he's not the youngest, is he? He must be like, what? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, he must yeah. be. He's not going to replace the... <laughs> yeah, he's a Milan keeper, is he? Um, yeah, so he's, what, 36, 37, 30, so maybe he's just angling for a move there. But, it's, you know, if he has made those comments, it's really unprofessional because even, you know, David De Gea saw his place go last towards the back end of last season to, you know, a goalkeeper where the gap between the two is larger than the gap between these two. Ramsdale's a solid keeper. That save from Mora was one of the saves of the season. Just because you've been relegated a couple of times and you've come in at reasonable high price tag doesn't mean that you're automatically, um, you know, an average keeper. And I know that Arsenal fans were quite divided when he came in, but 
you can only take someone at face value. And if he comes in, your team wins. Like, why would you change it? Imagine he bought in Leno and they ended up losing like 2-1 and it, like the ball squirmed under um, Bert Leno's like, arms. Imagine the, ro- like, the, the criticism, the rollicking Arteta would have got. So I, just, I don't understand. The, the only other thing is he's got, what, a year and a half on his contract maybe? So it's in almost in everyone's best interests if he goes this summer rather than yeah. go for a free quite, you know, the, I suppose it would be the summer after, wouldn't it? So it's sort of in everyone's interest, including his, if he was going to go to go this summer. Um, but really, really bizarre. And just typical like footballers these days, like particular goalkeeper, you know, like <laughs> your, it's your position's up for grabs, isn't it? I think for me as well, and, and just before I come to DDL, the reason why I don't I don't really buy that about him being told that he was going to be rested and then brought in for the North London derby, he didn't play against Norwich or Burnley, which were the two league games leading up to that. So it wasn't as though he'd been dropped for one game and told he was being rested. I mean, how long a rest do you need? I think Arsenal started the season in such a poor fashion that Mikel Arteta took the opportunity to completely refresh the back line, which was what he was hoping to do at the start of the season. He couldn't do it for a number of reasons. Gabriel was absent. You know, Ben White got COVID. Tommy Asu hadn't been signed yet. And I think he got the opportunity against Norwich to refresh that back line, did it. The results came. We we kept a clean sheet. We then kept another clean sheet at Burnley. And then, of course, we got the victory over Tottenham. So uh, uh, there's no reason for him to go back on it. And, and, and the other quick point I just want to make. I think nowadays what we're seeing, when we say it's in the the goalkeeper's best interests to to move on this coming summer, I actually don't always think that's necessarily true anymore. I think nowadays what you're going to see a lot more of is people running down their contracts because of the huge signing on fees that they can pick up as free agents. Now, as a free agent, clubs will still pay for you. The difference is that they'll put that signing on fee in the player in his agent's pocket as opposed to paying the club that currently owns the player. So I actually think you're going to see a lot of that over the next few years. Players really kind of digging their heels in, not signing new contracts, but equally not forcing transfers through because they know that in maybe 12 months' time, they'll be able to get themselves a, a signing on fee, which could be quite Yeah, sorry, really quickly, but the point of a goalkeeper is that if if he was out of favour, he just wouldn't play that whole season and be out of favour. And therefore, his sort of value and stock would be so much lower because not in terms of monetary value, but if a team hasn't seen you play for a year, they're not going to sign you. Whilst if you're an outfield player, you probably still can get 10, 15 games. So I'll go to the Yeah, I, I get the point. Uh, Dan, what you've been watching on very, uh, very ser- uh, stern-faced is the term I'd used. Um, I know you don't like nonsense like this, uh, especially when players come out and make sort of hidden comments. And 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 listen, just before we, we go into it, Stan the Man says it's no different to Xhaka courting Romo all summer. Different rules apply depending on who's breaking them. No, that that's I, I didn't agree with Xhaka making those comments either, Stan, uh, just for the record. But DDL, your take on, on what Leno has, uh, has had to say. Yeah, so I think the first bit that greats, greats for me is is what he's saying is he thinks he's a better goalkeeper than Ramsdale. That's that's the first thing. You know, if um peak Gianluigi Buffon was signed by the club and he was he was um he was stepped down to number two, I think you might have seen some different comments on none at all. So first of all he, he's he's disrespecting 
a a teammate now, whether he likes it or not. Um, which, which I don't I don't particularly like. Um, I think if he if he wants to move on in the summer or January, then I guess I understand that. I, I don't really expect um, goalkeepers to necessarily need to fight for their place. It's not really a it's not really a traditional um, position that you fight for your place for. I can't see um, too many chops and changes. He's a terrible age for a, a number two. You know, a number two goalkeeper, you're either young and up and coming or you're old and you, you know, towards the end of your career, but you, you know, you still want to, you still want to play those games. He, he's playing for, for Arsenal this season, which is a terrible club to be a number two for, because he's not going to get, he's not going to get Europa League runouts, which, which traditionally he would do. So he's looking at it and, he, and he's, you know, it's a, a three games in the League Cup. That's what he's going to get this season. And then possibly the FA Cup if Arteta chooses to rotate. It's not a lot of football. So I can understand him wanting to leave. I just don't like the idea of um, making that comment. You're showing your dissent. You're essentially saying that you believe you should be playing instead of Ramsdale. And I don't I don't think that's right. Um, I'm not sure I agree with the comment made. I can't remember who made it a minute ago about, well, Ramsdale not putting a foot wrong. So why would he be dropped? Ramsdale wasn't going to be dropped anyway. Arteta didn't play him against Norwich to then drop him if he had a bad game. The decision was made prior to the signing being complete. Um, I think, well, I know when Arteta's, when Arteta's come in and one of my biggest criticisms of Arteta, I've got, I've got a few and I still have, was he was trying to play out the back, making exact same mistakes that Emery was making with similar players. So like you said, he's had an opportunity to chop those players up. He's clearly identified a goalkeeper he wants who he feels can contribute to that style of play a little bit better. Um, you highlighted a goal on your, on your on your Twitter feed over the weekend where it came from, ultimately, uh, I mean, I think it was a lucky pass for what it's worth. It was very, very, very lucky to get away with it, but he did. And actually, he slotted into a style Arteta once. So it's pretty clear that Arteta has gone out and found what he wanted in a similar way when um, uh, Pep Guardiola throws out Joe Hart. That's it. So Leno's looking at that. He he probably is pretty clear that he can't get his way back in the team and he's venting his frustrations. But I think as a professional footballer who's getting paid by the club and the fans for as long as he's there, I just don't think it's a way to behave. I, I, I don't like it. Um, and unfortunately, he's the manager's number two. So, And another thing I don't like about this is, let, let's be clear, Arteta's had a, you know a good result at the weekend. You, you can see by the way he celebrated, though, it's a man who who's on the brink, in a way. You know, if if that result, if that was a you know a two one defeat or or an unlucky one nil, the knives would have been sharpened. Arteta's not in a secure role here, and if there's a change of manager in December or January or February, let, let's say Arsenal have a, a bad run and knocked out the FA Cup early, you know, Arteta, there's no guarantee Arteta's going to be there for too long, and for a prospective manager coming in. And I'm looking at Leno and I think, well, does this guy really fancy it? If these are the comments he's going to be making, unsettling the dressing room. And they're the sort of things that can unsettle dressing rooms. You know, players have got clicks. So I I, I don't like it. Um, I think it's pretty poor. I think it's pretty poor form. He's not, again, I said it's a bad, bad season to be a number two goalkeeper at Arsenal at that age. It, it really is. He It's not as if he, he can even look at it and say, well, he's, he's fighting for a place in the in the World Cup. You know he he's not going to be starting above above Neuer there either, so I just I just don't really get it. It's just frustration, but I think players are really poorly advised, and this is a, another example of that. 
Yeah, it's it's the kind of conversation that should be held behind closed doors. And I'm glad that you guys, kind of non-Arsenal supporters looking at it from the outside in, um, also agree that, you know, the comments just seem a little bit OTT and a little bit unnecessary and, and as if they can only be counterproductive. Um, I, I think with Leno, kind of the final thing I'll say on it, on this show anyway, is that for a while now, there have been question marks about Bern Leno. There are certain elements to his game that are just not up to scratch. You mentioned uh, DDL, the distribution part. You know, Bern Leno is is nowhere near as good as Aaron Ramsdale in that. And I know that pass you, you're referring to in the lead up to Arsenal second was quite fortunate to re- eventually reach its destination. But there have been signs that he is much better in that department since he's joined the club. He's played ping balls out to the flanks. He plays passes into midfield. And also probably the the most positive thing about his distribution is that he seems to make the right decision more often than Bern Leno does with regards to whether to go long and just understand the situation you're in and be able to switch off from what it is that is being drilled into you every single day. And then when the opportunity is there playing the way that Mikel Arteta has asked him to. So I think he's been really good in that sense. I felt I, think, I felt in the I felt he commanded his he's commanded his box a lot better as well. Yep, hundred percent in in the three games that that I've seen. Um I didn't watch all of the all of the Burnley game, admittedly. Um I watched all of the Norwich game and, and obviously watched the game on Sunday. And he, he he seems to have more presence in his box than Burn Leno as well as as well as the distribution. And I think if you've got those two things combined and make the right choices, you know, you can um you can spring counterattacks in a much more effective way, which which all the all the signs are that Arteta is, is going to favour that as a strategy more more than we've seen in the past seasons. So in terms of in terms of the tactics, he seems to fit. If he turns out to be a really, really good goalkeeper for Arsenal, I think you'd have to say it's a great spot. Because there was a lot of criticisms from Arsenal fans, particularly before he even signed, which is unfair, but there's nothing really endearing about signing Ramsdale at that time. And I suppose a lot of people looked at it and thought, well, he's probably he's probably a number two. Although um, a, a mate of mine who's, who's an Arsenal fan, um, I've got a couple of others, he, he said there's no way Arsenal are spending 30 million on him being a number two, and he will start. Um, yeah. And he's right about that. But if he turns out to be a really good goalkeeper, then it's a fantastic bit of scouting because I've not seen much around Ramsdale in the past that suggested he'd be someone you want to go after. But he settled him. He settled him really well. He's had a good run of fixtures. I think I said after the, the defeat to Man City on on this show that I wasn't too worried about Arsenal looking at their upcoming fixtures. There were some winnable ones in there, and obviously, so it's proved, and it's a good time to settle in some new signings. Yeah, for sure. And and the thing is with Ramsdale, I, I, I do look at him and as encouraging as the early signs have been, I do think that there is a mistake in Aaron Ramsdale. And, you know, he's been a little bit fortunate on a couple of occasions that when he has kind of towed the line a little bit, he's, he's not been exposed just yet. But even if he does make a couple of mistakes and you guys must have been at this point at some time in your kind of football fandom where you don't really mind the odd mistake because you're just so fed up with the person that was there before him. And that's how I feel about Bern Leno, because the mistakes are constant. The poor distribution is constant. The the constant talking in the background about his future drives me absolutely mad, as if he's some god of a goalkeeper who is bigger than Arsenal Football Club, which he isn't. And, and you know, so I'm kind of at that point with Bern Leno where I'm so frustrated with him that I would 
be willing to give Aaron Ramsdale a bit more leeway just so that we can kind of move on uh, from that kind of previous uh, group of players that obviously we've really suffered under. Um, let's take it on from Burn Leno. Let's take it on from the Arsenal and, and let's talk a little bit about the Champions League because we've seen some cracking games over the past couple of nights. And um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but he's made me because he is just so clutch, isn't he? Cristiano Ronaldo stepped up to the plate uh, in stoppage time, deep into stoppage time, in Fergie time, you might even want to call it, to earn Manchester United a vital three points in their Champions League group win uh, over Villarreal. Um, Alavi, I mean, this guy, is he ever going to just stop producing these moments? Because it, there was kind of, when the ball came over and he headed it down to Green, uh, to Lingard and the ball came back off of Lingard, you just knew it was going to hit the back of the net, didn't you? You just got that feeling. And it must be, I mean, for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, who's been knocked out of the Carabao Cup at home to West Ham, who lost to Young Boys, lost to Villa in the league, he must be thanking his lucky stars that he's got Cristiano Ronaldo to call on. Yeah, I mean, he's also um, broken the record tonight, hasn't he? He became the mm-hmm. um, record holder for most appearances. But he, we we said the other day that he, if he scores X amount of goals and does pretty well and, you know, takes them from fourth to third, and he's had a pretty good season. I think he's he just fuels off people wondering whether he's still good enough. <laughs> and... You know, he's not done it against a bad team tonight either. And the, I don't, now he's going to get a load of penalties coming his way, I assume, after um, after Saturday as well. So, it's just... Guys, it's a machine. It's, I don't know if, like... I was thinking yesterday, did the Messi... Today, rather, did the Messi thing that happened yesterday fuel him even more? Does he just get that in his head and he just starts to sort of think... He sees it as a personal, personal thing to just be... The man and to 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 celebrate with um you know his top off as well, but just <laughs> it, it's just incredible. And when I think how many they've got some great players and some great and and you look at Fernandez and yeah he is a match winner, but there's different types of there's different types of match winners. And actually for the first time they've got someone who can play in such an advanced position that really is a ma- is a match winner, and it's just. I don't know when he's going to stop. He, if you read, I don't know if you've seen all these documentaries or you're bore, you bore yourself reading about, you know, stories about him, but it's just some of the things he has done to sustain his career up to this point. You know, like he goes out celebrating with on the Champions League final. He's there with like bold chicken and water or he's, you know, answering journalists when they ask him as to whether his um, son's going to be a professional footballer. He's like, no, because he has... Diet Coke at his friend's 11-year-old birthday party. You think, like, he's got this mentality. We're just driven to succeed. It's just unbelievable, mate. We're looking at two... I think DDL said it the other day where we're just constantly... And I know I've just done it. That's a complete hypocrite. But we're constantly going on about him and Messi. We're actually like, just leave it and just sit and admire the two. Because it's it's boring. Like, it's done now. You, you It essentially comes to a preference more than anything. I, ca- I kind of I prefer Messi. You, in fact, we all prefer Messi. But you can't really argue if someone says Ronaldo, can you? Just you just hold. You just say that that's my preference. But that's just incredible. And even everyone, whether you hate Man United or love Man, you must just admire him for, for what he's done. 
I admire him. I, I'm not going to say I enjoy seeing him score for Man United. Um, Dan, but he's done it like 2003. Got there at what 18 years old, and now he's doing it in 2021. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, I I get it, but I am a little bit. So I, I think he's he's fantastic. Okay, and I think he's had an incredible impact in the short space of time that he's been back at the club, and I expect him to continue to have a similar impact throughout the course of the season. But Dan. But he's done it in the ninety fifth minute, and he's stopped thirty six. Yeah, not like but, he's done it but, in the twentieth minute, man. But I take like I take a bit of an issue with like you know you said it was against a very good team. I mean, Villarreal are eleventh in La Liga. Unai Emery is their manager, and you know they had the opportunities to put the game to bed. And if they do, then all of a sudden nobody's talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. So, Dan, are, are we in danger here of looking at what he's done? But and and obviously saying yes it's great and, and Cristiano's having an impact but because it's Cristiano Ronaldo do we look into every little thing and sometimes overblow stuff that another good striker would still be able to do yeah yeah we we will from time to time and, and that, but that's because that's because of the career it's like conversely I don't know if a Bamiyang misses a sitter against Olympiacos in the last minute and you get knocked out of the cup. It's if. it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate if um Enketia misses that same chance, he's an absolute useless waste of space and not good enough to be on the field. It's it's that in reverse, isn't it? Um it's an it's just it's just every time those two do something, it, it's just it's just another thing on top of another thing or on, on top of another thing. And so it's always gonna be it's always going to be exaggerated compared to if if that 95th minute minute winner was smashed in by Marcus Greenwood it, that that's just how it is what I would say here um because I see both sides of this argument obviously he's an absolutely fantastic player he's he's still doing it he's not slowed down um from what the average football from what the average footballer is and the goal hasn't got any smaller and he can still finish he's going to score goals what sums this up for me is last year Manchester United lost the final to Villarreal and here we are three months on and the difference between the two sides is Cristiano Ronaldo that that's that's it that sums up what he brings to Manchester United he has that ability from I'm not one of these people who thinks because you score in the 95th minute it's better than if you score in the seventh minute I, I don't care but but what it means is with him in the side they are a threat at any moment you know you see some games peter out you know, a lot of you you see some games they peter out, they 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 fizzle out. Man United they get their equaliser. You know, they'll there'll be a a bit of a burst of energy inspired by the crowd for 10, 15 minutes. They try and push on, and as it gets to the eighty eighth minute, you just feel the energy disappear, and you sit there in the ground and you feel well, this goal isn't going to come. With Cristiano Ronaldo, that doesn't happen because there's always that chance of him on the pitch, and that's the difference. We're talking about someone who can do it at any time in any circumstance. And it kind of means the other 88 minutes are almost irrelevant. How he plays the rest of the game doesn't matter anymore because he's got that ability to do that. And it was very similar to, to Messi yesterday. He didn't do an awful lot in the game, but he still got that ability to do that. And that's that's what makes a difference. So in Manchester United's terms, their squad's a lot worse. Obviously in the league, it, it could make the difference between you know finishing 
fourth or, or second in this case. There's a lot of good teams up there. I don't think they're good enough to win it. In, in PSG's case, it could be the difference between not winning the Champions League and winning it. And that's what these players still bring. And it's just it's just amazing at their age they've still got that capability to pop up at any time and 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 score the same types of goal they've been scoring for 15, 20 years. I hope, he, I hope he play, slows um... down. I would say that. I do hope he slows yeah. down. It's <laughs> yeah, the first I'm, time I've seen him play Pogba, Fernandes, Sancho, Greenwood um, Christian Ronaldo and get them all in. Obviously, but I, I didn't see the game, but I saw that they started there and ended more defensively. So I don't know if that's a, just a realisation that actually you can't always fit that many attacking players in. Yeah, yeah. You've got to find the balance, haven't you? And I think yeah. well, they, didn't, they didn't play well, did they? In, no, exactly. In reality, they, they, didn't have that, they didn't have that balance at all. And mm. uh, I, I, I watched the Juventus Chelsea game. Um, mm. And I was just checking in on the uh, on the United game, but they didn't get that balance right. So I think Solskjaer's in a weird way. He's in a bit of a he's in a bit of a tough spot at the minute, isn't he? Because he's coming under criticism for things that are perhaps a bit undeserved. If I'm honest, going out to the Carabao Cup in the Carabao Cup isn't the end of the world, really. Let's be honest. And he was unfortunate to lose against Villa on a balance of play. He likes to play his double pivot. That's how he likes to build his teams. He wants those two players there. The fans don't want that. He's got attacking players, lots of them. Now we f- it feels like he's trying to put them in, but he doesn't really want to. But yeah. I think this is not just for Man United, right? Like so Man City did this as well. Like they go a whole season with a double pivot. They constantly keep at least the the five outfield players behind uh sorry, five players behind the ball most of the time. So the more defensive of your double pivot and the four defenders, the majority of the time, should be behind the ball. And in the Champions League final, he goes and changes it and plays Gundogan as your most... Like, def- I mean, you think... It just doesn't... Well, like, sometimes stick. there's a reason you can't field... And it, I think managers try and be greedy sometimes. They try and, like, fit, like, square pegs into rounds that they'll try and fit as many attacking players as they can because they're too scared to drop them. Actually, like... Obviously, Fred isn't as good as one of those players, but you just have to do it because it's there's a reason yeah. that system works. So yeah. just do it. Just take the bite the bullet that Mason Greenwood isn't going to start, as an example. Well, well given For, they've given they'd lost two young boys in their first group game, and they were on the the cusp of being held at home uh, by Villarreal. Cristiano Ronaldo, I reckon the reason he went so overboard with the celebration was not because he'd. Uh, scored in the 95th minute solely, but probably because he was scared of playing in the Europa League. Yeah. Could you imagine well, Cristiano Ronaldo? You, in the for you two, it must be nice to watch Wednesday football and Tuesday football and not have to worry about what the result is. So maybe Ronaldo did want to say Hold on. For, for you two, says the guy who was going to go to a non-league match tonight. It got cancelled because exactly, of petrol. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? I haven't got any petrol. I've got about 20 miles in my car. Yeah. And... Um, I'm debating whether to, when my daughter inevitably wakes me up at five in the morning, whether it is worth going to the petrol station down the road or just getting on with it. I don't know. Do you know, do you know what you should do? Go on. You should drive your car to the petrol station, mm. park it by the pump, just pull the handbrake up, walk home. And whenever <laughs> that's whenever that pump is, fu- is filled, you're, you're the first one there. I, I checked for it. I checked. This is no joke. So how, sorry. Harry lives 20 minutes from me, right? Or something like that. I checked the price from Uber home on Saturday night when we watched the boxing. Yep. 
which uh, Usyk won, and I told the world that he would win beforehand. But anyway, moving on. Um, and uh, what was it? 78 quid? 78 quid, yeah. <laughs> 78 quid. Do you know what? The, I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent. Yeah. Sorry, guys, but this fuel crisis here, it's a pretty big bloody deal. 78 quid? Yeah, 78 quid. And I, I didn't bottle have... of whiskey would have made it less painful, but still, 78 quid. Yeah, it's Jeez. mad, isn't it? I didn't even take my car to Arsenal on Sunday because from wow. fear of not having enough petrol and getting stuck. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's continue talking about the Champions League and let's go back to uh, Tuesday night's big clash between Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City. Uh, PSG won by two goals to nil. Lionel Messi got his first goal uh, for Paris Saint-Germain. It was a trademark Lionel Messi finish, wasn't it? Brilliant stuff. Um, Dan, you were not happy with Man City. You were not happy with Pep Guardiola. You called him an absolute fraud. As He's an have absolute done... fraud. He's a fraud. He's <laughs> as a you have done fraud. on numerous occasions. The stage, the floor, whatever you want to call it, is yours, my friend. In a, in a, in a minute or so, sum up for our listeners why Pep Guardiola, in your opinion, is a fraud. Well, he's a fraud because, again, he's never, ever overachieved. He basically goes to the best team all the time that he can possibly get his hands on, does basic things that anyone could do, and then he's paraded like a genius. Because he's a fraud, it doesn't mean he's a bad manager. This is where people come back to me. He's won this. I didn't say he's a bad manager. I said he's a fraud in the context, context of being the best manager of all time. He has never done anything I couldn't do. The last manager not to win with Man City was Mark Hughes. That's a fact. He, on this particular occasion, he he went to the Champions League final and lost it by himself. But like, there's very few managers who have ever done that. You probably list three or four in the history of the tournament. He lost it by himself. Similar to what Alavi was saying there. Let's just just throw everyone however we feel like it. So this is Pep Guardiola. I'm going to pick someone from the chat. Who shall I pick? Grief Hampton. If I great if I gave Grief Hampton one billion pounds to spend on a squad that already had De Bruyne, Silver, Aguero, Company plus others in it, if I gave him a billion pounds, he would not, in the fifth season, play 10 games and fail to score in four of them. And then you look, why have you failed to score in four of them? Because you don't pick a striker. How many times are you going to not pick a striker? Before yeah, you Sterling work out? thing's weird. Sterling is a te- that was he's terrible. Sterling that was is terrible. strange yesterday. No, but, I think some but, players look worse when they're out of form and he falls into that category. Like sort of like bumbles yeah, over him, true. like he doesn't. Do you know what I mean? He's like certain players. I think look worse when they're at form. Yeah, and I think I think to be fair, I think and he's one I think, of them. I think Kane's in that category as well. When he's out of form, it stands out like yeah, an absolute sore yeah. thumb. But yeah. he's. But we're waiting for him to get back in form. Is it's been a, been a few years actually. I, I was meaning to ask you what happened to him on Sunday. Was he there? He's missing he, like Anthony Joshua. He did all right. He put himself about. Just a couple of tra- missed a couple of missed a couple of sitters. Just a standard. Oh, was that him? Was that him? I got him. Conf- I got him confused with uh, Ollie Skip because the standard was about the same. For, for all our jokes, <laughs> Kane would have fitted perfectly for Man City last night. Uh, as much as I'm not his biggest fan, he would have actually been perfect. That's what they were missing last night. But that's the quite difference. Clearly. But it's not. It's not. Um, it's not Guardiola's fault that Man City didn't sign Kane. Yeah. It's Guardiola's fault that he doesn't have a striker. He has a striker and plays him left wing. He has a left winger and plays him up front. He has a defensive midfielder, doesn't play him at all. This is just, this is an idiot. The guy is an idiot. 
and, and the reason I call him a fraud is not because he's a bad manager. It's because he is spoken about as the messiah of football, and he's never he's still yet to do a thing, any anything over and above that should be expected of him with the teams he's managed. And I know people think I'm an idiot, but I don't care. I think you know, when okay, on one hand, what Dan says is quite a preposterous statement in the sense that they have just beaten Chelsea, right? Who a few of us were calling as league favourites. Before Saturday, they'd won five and I think lost one, and they've just yeah, but, what scored what yeah, twenty yeah, goals. Based, and they, that was but, based on Chelsea beating Tottenham. And look at Tottenham. It was. But what I will give you credit for is before um, the weekend, you sort of put City into two categories, which is the, which is they either thump a team four five nil, or they really really struggle to break a team down. Now, they may draw that game nil-nil. They might get that one win over Leicester. They might get beaten. But it's the fact that they struggle to break them down. And that then does come down to their tactics. They're not winning a series of games 2-0, 3-0, 3-1. It's yeah. either we're running away with it 5-0 or we've got no idea what we're doing in, in we'll this run, game. We'll run out of ideas. Yeah. And that's if worse. You look at because even if it gives you the same points and the same stats... Those stats and points are misleading because they don't tell the true story because the negative part of that, which is it shown in the stats, but the negative part of not being able to break it will then cost you that big semi-final, that big final. Whereas if you do constantly break teams down and beat them, say, 2-0, 3-0, and that um, evolves into the same number of stats as their current um, place, you've learned along the way how to win and how to do certain things that will then win you that champion. Do, does that make sense? Like, you, it, yeah, the stats the hide is, a lot. It does, yeah. Stats, stats, can be, stats can be deceiving. Look, let's, Pep wins most of his finals. He's not, he's not a bad football manager. I actually went on record rarely to praise him at the weekend with the way, the way he yeah, handled the well. Chelsea game, which but was then, a tough but, but you can't play 10 games in a season, yeah? Which He's played 10 games this season and he's failed to score in four of them with that squad, and then turn up the next week without a striker again. If that was, if that you know, other like managers get slaughtered for that sort of stuff for doing the same thing, for not having a a plan B. You said it yourself. You you praised him at the weekend for the way he set Manchester City up (laughs) against Chelsea, and I actually went on the ninety min show, the preview show on the Thursday, and everybody was talking about how Chelsea were going to be able to cope with Manchester City because they weren't going to play with a striker. And I I said, and I felt that actually the fact that they play without a striker sometimes makes them more difficult to defend against because of the fluidity in the movement, because it could be Gabriel Jesus popping up in that central position like he did when he scored. It could be Bernardo Silva. It could be Raheem Sterling, whoever. That fluidity in their movement, I think sometimes makes them harder to defend against. So what I'm struggling to get is, on the one hand, we're saying, you know, they were brilliant against Chelsea. They set up perfectly. They executed everything perfectly. And that didn't include the natural centre forward. And now, a few days later, when they've been beaten by PSG, we're talking about the centre forward thing again. I, 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 don't, I think too much is made of them choosing not to play with the centre forward because they still score goals for the most part. They've been on a little bit of an iffy run when you look at the goal scoring, you know, in, in recent times. But I still think over the course of the season, there's a good chance Pep Guardiola's side score more goals than anybody, even the sides with a 25, 30 goal a season striker. Yeah, but it's five, 
five against Norwich and five against Burnley will skew that figure. If it was five against Burnley or knocking him five against, you know, the next shit team they play against, will skew that figure. It's it's now a big sample size. It's four games in ten. Forty percent of of Manchester City's games this season they have failed to score, and one of the six was against Wickham, which shouldn't even count. But I've included it in the interest of fairness. So there is something fundamentally wrong with what you are doing. Having lost the Champions League final playing that way last season, and anyone who says that that Pep Guardiola didn't lose that final, I will take. But it I wasn't. Mean, but okay. But going back on. to Saturday, Harry, which is your point, yeah. they should have still yeah. won. It's really hard to like um, give them any criticism for win for beating Chelsea one 0 But they should have won by a bigger margin, and they should have they, scored more than they, they did. Had, and they then, had who, you're right. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. They should have right. And then but, that. But because they've won, no one talks about it. But it's still that same issue. They created a lot of chances and only scored a really small percentage of them. So then they've gone to PSG and how many shots do they have? 17 or something to PSG 6. And not and because they haven't come off as winners, then that fact looks into. That fact was still there on Saturday. Yeah. They had, my, and my... On, on Saturday, they, the difference is, Harry, to answer on Saturday, he at, least had, he at least he had Jesus on the pitch. Yeah. You know, so if, yeah, but my so my if point is not that. My my point is that you if you if you play with a centre forward, a centre forward can quite easily get lost and dominated by Chelsea's three centre halves yeah. and not do very much. Yeah. And so those chances that City created, my argument is some of them were down to the fact that they didn't have a striker. And they were creating overloads on the left, wherever it be someone pulling out to support Grealish and then the fullback coming up on the outside as well. And they were bringing three-on-two situations. They were doing it on the right-hand side as well. My point, and, and also the press, one of the biggest things that Manchester City did to Chelsea on Saturday was press them really high up the pitch and strangle them and prevent them getting out. And they dominated the game that way. And I don't think you can do that as effectively if you've got, a heavy centre forward who, you know, let's say for example, oh, Harry Barcelona Kane did it with their press and their, they still had proper centre forwards, but not not to that extent. They did man. though. They not Ed, Bar- Ed, Barcelona Ibrahimovic, were always on the ball. Barcelona are a different side. Like I'm talking I, about I, the Pep's Barcelona. And the yeah, but if are you telling me that Harry Kane can? press with the intensity but that... he can't spell let alone press i'm talking exactly like ibrahimovic but that's and... that's the point i'm making it but even ibrahimovic is not a presser like that's never been his game so pep guardiola is is looking at it in a different way and feels that the benefits of having that additional midfielder that's a little bit more mobile that gives you that extra bit in the press and then the fluidity in the movement and the ability between those players to interchange positions that creates them more chances. If they're not putting them away, I get that. And that's a problem. But they are, you said it yourself, they had 17 odd attempts at PSG in comparison to their six. So the problem is not that they're not getting into the situations. It's that those players are not taking those opportunities. And so I think too much of it is being placed at Pep's door. That's the point I'm making. And also, Dan, you said he lost the Champions League final. He did. But I don't think that was because of the striker situation. I put that down to the def- decision he made around defensive midfield, no? Uh, I mean, it was both. That was a mess, wasn't it? He played two left wingers. Yeah, he had Foden and he had Foden and Sterling sitting on top of each other with with, with nothing in the middle. He had Aguero sat on the bench. Um, it's just 
a lot of it he outsmarts himself. And when I call him an idiot, this, this is kind of what I mean. He, you're doing things. If if everyone looks at a team sheet and says, that's bonkers, and you get beat, then accept criticism because he takes enough credit. But four games in 10 without scoring is shocking. That is something fundamentally wrong over a series of games with what you are doing. It's all right saying, well, you know, he was. it worked against... Chelsea, brilliant. It didn't work against PSG, unlucky. Over 10 games, to go four without scoring is poor. Factor in, didn't score in the Champions League final. So that's now that's that's now five and 11. He didn't score in the FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea. Okay, there was some, there was some games in between. This is a trend that goes longer than a week or two and, and a bad game against Southampton. This is a long-standing trend. But which over stems the course the of the season... Over the course of the season, will it be enough to win them the league? I don't think it will. I don't, I don't think they will win the league this year. So actually, you, I do. I do. Yeah, and and that's where I'll I'll, I'll yeah. I'm still know, picking. I, I'm not changing. I'll have to I'll have to swallow my words if the league is won because ultimately that's 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 the goal. But you can't but is it, go though, through. The goal isn't that though, is it? That's the thing. Well, no, the he, goal he, is the Champions League final. And the reason they that win those one-off games in the Champions final is because of these fundamental flaws that we're talking about. Yeah, so I guess I guess the league for City, unfortunately, is par for the course, which is harsh. But it's not a bad season if they win the league, clearly. Obviously, no. but for Pep Guardiola to do what he came for at the sixth attempt with that squad, you know, you'll still have to applaud it. But what do you do? Stay there? He's going to stay there forever and keep spending money till he wins it. Every season it takes, it's going to be less impressive when it happens, unfortunately. But yeah. this is, you remember Gabriel Jesus when he turned up. You know, this guy now should be playing number nine and he should be running He should be running the show as a centre-forward. And if you want to drift him out to the wing to mix things up for, like, certain periods of the game, you can still do that. But he's neglected. He's neglected to develop this guy as the heir to Aguero's throne. And I don't understand it. And it's a mistake. And in terms of being the best manager of all time, I just find it ridiculous that that if you don't agree to that, you're, like, you're you're treated like like an alien because I'm just let's, not I'm just not having it let's, I let's go over to the comments I don't actually know that calls him the greatest man of all time no there are there are a fair few really? there are yeah oh. let's let's go over to the live comments and see what some of you guys are saying with regards uh, to this Pep Guardiola debate uh, Marble Horse TV says I agree he's overrated but he's not a fraud Sir Alex didn't need big money to win big 99 to 2008 CLPL sides were a mix of big signings youth players and low budget signings uh, what else have we got? Uh, just going back to when I was talking about Harry Kane, Mint says at least Kane got an assist on Saturday. True, I forgot about that. Uh, Marble should have Halls... had a penalty, to be fair to him. Yeah, he should have. He should have. Uh, Marble Hall's TV on the Kane thing says if he was American, he'd be on a milk carton to report him for being missing from Sunday. Um, <laughs> Ryan Finity uh, disagrees with you, Dan. He says Guardiola is the best manager in the history of football. He ruined oh, this country's go. Messiah Ferger. Fergie, Ferga, Fergie, he humiliated Wenger and he had one over Mourinho. Uh, Jeffrey is a little bit more sympathetic to DDL's view. He says, Dan's right, Guardiola outside of Messi is above average, but not great. Um, Marble Halls says, could Pep do what Klopp did at Liverpool? I strongly doubt it. Klopp didn't need big money to win at Liverpool. Salamane Henderson weren't expensive or world-class. He didn't sign Henderson, though. And um, and they did spend seventy five million on a centre half, 
and sixty odd million on a yeah, so 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 Klopp has spent Klopp has spent five hundred million pounds since he joined Liverpool. Mm. Um, so that that is that is a point that's overlooked when talking about Klopp. Klopp has spent money. Um, Klopp inherited a side that that had Dejan Lovren at centre off, Alberto yep. Moreno at left back. You know he had to transform a squad, and he did it. And he did what no manager had done before for. 20, 30, 30 years in the league. Obviously, the Champions League, they, they picked it up under Benitez, which was a great, you know. But when we're talking about greatness, look at what Benitez did at Liverpool, winning the Champions League, compared to if Pep Guardiola wins it. doesn't stack up. And Benitez has done it at Valencia. Klopp's done it at Dortmund and Liverpool. Um, Mourinho's left the division now, obviously. But, you know, he's done it at Porto and Inter. Look at what Arsene Wenger did at Arsenal. That's four managers just in and Ferguson, you know, he did it at Aberdeen. That's five managers who've managed in the Premier League. Look at Antonio Conte. He's done it at Inter. He's he's done it at Juventus. Look at what he did at Italy. You know, I know they got knocked out um in the quarterfinals of that tournament, but propelled them. That's six managers who have managed in the Premier League that have more right than Pep Guardiola to be called the greatest manager. In, in English football's history, in my opinion. And I've backed that opinion up there with some Rafa Benitez facts. <laughs> um, let's say a big hello to George, who says big up Harry, hashtag North London Greek Gooners. Big hello to Shady, who says big up from Amsterdam. Much love to you all. Um, let's wrap it up by talking about the game tonight between Juventus and Chelsea. Um I cover Serie A very, very closely. Make sure you check out Simply Serie A if you haven't done so already. Get a cheeky plug in there. The link is in the <laughs> description. Uh, check it out. We released an episode yesterday. And uh, we were talking about the situation at Juventus because, let's be quite frank, it's been a really difficult start to the season for Max Allegri. A lot of people were maybe under a bit of an illusion as to how easy it was going to be for him to come back in and almost pick up where he left off. Um, they're really struggling in the league. They picked up their first win at home in Serie A at the weekend, which is incredible when you think about it. And um, and going into this game against Chelsea, I've got to say, I made Chelsea strong favourites. Dan, how impressed were you with Juventus? Because I, I, admittedly, I didn't see all of the 90 minutes because at half time I shifted over to the goal show. But what I did see from Juventus was good organisation and them utilising the pace of, of Federico Chiesa on the break. It's it, it was a very Italian performance, wasn't it, from Juve in many ways? Yeah, yeah, it was. They um they they soaked it up in the early stages. Chelsea Chelsea dominated the um the the early um the early trade offs, and then they then they played to their strengths. Um, the centre halves did did what you'd expect from them. Chiesa is. Oh, certainly, he, he certainly he's a top ten player in the world already, in my opinion. In terms of in terms of what he what he does and how he does it, he's he goes through phases of games where he's unplayable, and I think he's going to very quickly turn that into whole games with like increasing regularity. He's an absolutely brilliant player, and um, they they got him into the game more and more and more, and uh, and Chelsea struggled, and then um. What they did to what they did today that they haven't they haven't done so much in the in the Serie A games is they went through little phases after they scored where they strung little spells of possession together just just to frustrate and, and take take the sting out of the game at regular intervals intervals so it was a it was a lot more um, of an Italian like performance in that respect and um, I think obviously they're struggling 
a a failed experiment with Pirlo last year set them back. Allegri going back, it's never going to be the same the second time. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. And now they're playing catch up again after a poor start. But there is still a good side there. Um, there is a solid centre half base. They've got forwards who can score goals and 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 a selection of them. So I, I do think they'll I do think they'll be all right. Um, whether they'll be able to haul the leaders back and win the league, I, I'm not sure. But they played really really well, and um, I think Chiesa, who's been used sparingly for the last season, he's ready now. You know, he's ready. He's ready to go. He's ready to be the main man all the time. And um, and uh, yeah, a good result for them compared to considering where they've been. Um, but but a lot to be encouraged about for those who follow who follow Serie A in that in that respect. But it, it's good though to have some competition, right? But like I know surely, I think Napoli have got off to a fantastic start. But a number of seasons that like the last decade has just been dominated by Juventus. Like, it's actually quite nice to have. I know it's some of it um, is probably because of their off the field sort of financial losses for Juve. I don't, obviously, Harry would know a lot more. Um, than I do, and, and and could probably go into the um, footballing side of why they haven't made a good start to the season more than I can. But it, it's nice to have some sort of competition, right? Because you've got the two big men inside. You've got Napoli in the top, um, in the top three. Going back to what you said about Chiesa, like I can't believe how I still can't believe how young he is. I think I keep thinking to be that good, you should be more like 26, 27. To be that good is just his touch from. At his first touch from a long ball is just unbelievable. He kept doing it in the Euro final. I was watching it, um, Harry's brothers actually, and every time the ball went over to him, we've, we just went, oh, I can't believe they've wasted that again. And he'd just bring it down. And you think, he's so quick as well. His sprints will just scare opponents. I think, yeah, I'll probably agree with top 10 in the world. I, he's one of the few players, I think, I don't know, could he go on to be one of, one of the best players in the world. I think but he's, he's that good. Potentially. He's got the potential. He's got the potential. And I think what's scary about Chiesa for me is that he's deceivingly quick. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, yeah. you look at some players. It's because he's watch, small as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he just, he just doesn't really look like that much of an athlete. And that probably sounds crazy to say, but sometimes you just look at players, don't you? And the, the way they carry themselves and their style of play and maybe they're, you know, they're the kind of mannerisms and you say, yeah, this is a bit of a pace merchant. But with Chiesa, it's like he just bursts into this this incredible speed and gets away from people. I mean, that opportunity he had in the first half, Dan, obviously he scored the goal tonight, but that opportunity in the first half when Chelsea lost the ball and he just burst into this, uh, you know, incredible bit of pace and got away from his man and fired wide in the end. I think it's scary. And when a player is technically secure the way Chiesa is, and also has that in his locker. I think he's incredibly difficult to handle. Yeah, he's he is, and he's got everything. That's what it is about him. I, I don't see a weakness. It just comes down to whether I, all I of those actually two-footed player in the world. Mm. I don't think you have to be. I, I'm just saying I don't think he's the most two-footed player in the world. I think if you were to look at his <laughs> passing accuracy, my guess is that it's probably not the highest. But that's probably because he attempts. He doesn't just play like your yeah. your DDL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tries to passes, does he? He does like do the odd one. You're like, oh, uh, yeah. He plays. He, 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 he likes to. 
Yeah, he likes to play. He likes to play uh, the killer ball. The, 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 how yeah, wary. so he's. But I mean, he's got power. Do they got count pain. as weaknesses? He scores, he scores goals. He can dribble. Um, he can use his other foot. He, he's done it. He's he done it. He dragged Italy back into that Euro final, in, in my mm. opinion. But and and throughout the years, what what I say about him, and you mentioned his age, when you know you're dealing with a a player, is when people are trying to hold him back and they can't anymore. Like he didn't start yeah. for Italy in the Euros. He, he was a substitute. Yeah. It got to the point very early in the tournament where it was apparent we cannot sit this man, we cannot sit this kid on the bench anymore. You know, he's now he is it's impossible. You know, he's answering quite he's coming off the bench and influencing games a lot. That is a real measure of talent, especially young talent. How many times, particularly at Arsenal, have had a lot of good young players over the years, particularly even 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 watching Tottenham over the years or when when clubs sign young players. And they don't quite start because they're not ready. And you throw them off the bench for 20 minutes. They make no impact. Suddenly, they're seven months into their new club. And you think, is this guy any good or not? You know, this guy, you can't, he, he, he can he can impact the game from a bench. He can he can start on the left. He can start on the right. He scores. He, he is going to be. He's one of those players that if he signs in a Premier League and it's not your club, you're going to be. I think Man United him. wanted him, didn't they? Do you know what sets him apart? That I notice it. With the modern footballer will bring the ball down or receive a pass, take a touch, take another touch, take three touches to go past one, use a bit of pace. Stuff. He he does that old school where, okay, he brings the ball down beautifully. Like his touch is unreal. And then he sort of just takes two or three touches, quite long. Like It's not always within perfect control, but to take past the, the fullback, he'll just go one, two, three, and he's gone. And the ball's not always that near him. They're quite like long touches on the wing. It's quite rare to see now that he doesn't overdo it. And he only has that. We can do that because he's got that blistering pace that Harry talks about. But not just pace, acceleration. There's a difference mm. between the two. And he's one of the few people who have got both. Like Henri had both. Whereas like other players just have like they're quick, but they don't have acceleration like he does. Sorry, go on. Also as well, the... Um... The, the thing about you, you saying that he takes least less touches or whatever is absolutely spot on. He's, he's very direct. Yeah, as soon yeah, as he gets yeah. the ball, yeah. it, you could almost draw a straight line from wherever yeah, yeah. is on the pitch yeah. to the middle of the box. And that's what he will try and do. Um, yeah. But I, th I think this is a great comment from Diddley Squat, who has cracked exactly why uh, Federico Chiesa is... Like is incredibly, is incredibly <laughs> difficult to handle because he's got it's a big like ups and short legs. <laughs> that's brilliant. He's a bit like Usyk. He's just small but talented. You know, that's all we need. You, you, I, I told you before the show, nobody cares about Usyk tonight, yeah? Uh, <laughs> except for you. Right, I think we are uh, going to wrap it up there because we've been going for over an hour, uh -huh. coming up to an hour. Right. In fact, actually, I'm going to give DDL just... A minute to, to oh, pour his heart out about the North. Oh, London you don't Derby. have to. No, I do. I do because the listeners want it. Trust me. And um, I got a minute. Can I take it to the corner flag? Can I do twenty? <laughs> can I do twenty seconds, which gives DDL some credit before giving to DDL? So when I when I was at yours, I was like, I think Arsenal going to win. It was based on absolutely nothing, nothing judicious. And then when they did win, I read, I heard what DDL said, and he made a comment. And that made me realise, actually, maybe that's why I thought they had a good chance of winning. And it was, there is no freshness in that team. There, is no, there are no new signings. And I didn't clock that, but he's right. That one side had four new signings and the other had none, maybe. And that was maybe subconsciously why I thought, well, I kept, I kept saying, they're gonna, I think they're going to win, but I, I, can't, I can't tell you why. 
Um, but yeah, sorry, Didi. I think that was unless I've stolen it from someone else. I think you made that comment. Yeah. Bef- yeah. Before DDL yeah. comes in, so is this what we're doing now? We're going to pretend that we our subconscious thought of great points about no, just it was a, no, it was a, no, it's an, I don't, <laughs> just I don't know why I thought My, it, I sub I thought, I thought <laughs> right that Man United were going. Yeah, well, Harry's about to say something horrible. So what, what, yeah, while yeah. he's while he's frozen, <laughs> while while Harry's yeah. frozen, I'll um I'll 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 give him I'll give the listeners some of my tears, if you like, and just elaborating on, <laughs> on your point and comparing it to to Arsenal. I, I thought yeah. Tottenham would lose before the game because we don't win at the Emirates. That's one point. You know, um, while we're talking about one point, being positive from a Tottenham perspective, we've basically dropped one point at best against what we we expect at the Emirates. But the yeah. performance, the performance is absolutely dreadful. And tactically, when a new manager comes in, I could sit here after the game and, and lose like you boys did for two years and just say, trust the process and just pretend it didn't happen. But there doesn't appear to be a process. You know, I, I'm looking, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a centre half getting the ball, lumping it up to a striker who can't possibly win it. And then there'd be no one in midfield to win the second ball. And Arsenal were good. Arsenal were clinical, but it wasn't that hard. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't really. We didn't really put up any kind of fight or or any kind of resistance to it, Pep. Uh, Pep, what's his name? Mikel Arteta. It it must be the easiest game he's ever had to he's ever had to navigate through. Fair play to him. He did it. He did it well, and the players played well, and they stepped up, and they did everything you could ask of them. But you can't. You can't play a game without a midfield and expect anything other than the other team to look like they're going to score every time they get the ball. It was absolutely horrific um, by Tottenham. And that's not to take anything away from Arsenal. Arsenal were clinical. Um, A couple of fine margins didn't quite go Tottenham's way, which which annoyed me a little bit. Like Hoiberg not winning the ball and falling over. That's the difference between 1-0 and 2-0. the way the game was going, whatever happened, Arsenal would have won because of the way we were set up. You know, uh, probably should have had a penalty to get back in the game at three-one. I'm watching that, and I'm not even upset because I, I know even if that goes in, we're so poor that we're not going to turn it around. And there's no characters. But back to your point, Olavi, and this sums up. It's taken Arteta a long time to get here, but what I was saying was, you look at the lineups, and you know you're going to lose because Spurs yeah. have got Spurs have got none of their new signings in that starting lineup. And what that does is that basically exposes so many problems at the club from recruitment to scouting to training to integrating new players to form. How can you how can you how can you have a season as bad as we had last year and then six games in you're starting the same players? It's it's madness. It's absolute madness. And even going back further, um even going back further than that, Pochettino, who I think people are now starting to realise quite a good a job he did at Tottenham, by the way. But Pochettino, his last game against Sheffield United, there were six players in our starting eleven from that game. But that's how much we haven't moved. And even the players who played in that game are going to be getting worse and more frustrated and stale at the club. You have to refresh. Until going back, going full circle to the beginning of the show, when we talked about what Ramsdale's done in his three games at Arsenal. He's been bought for a reason. He's starting for a reason, and he's freshening the squad up. And Spurs are going to lose a lot of games between now and Christmas 
because it's just stale. But tactically, I, I just don't know. I, I'm not going to go any bigger on it. But tactically, it was absolutely horrific. If you get the chance to watch, I don't like Jamie Carragher. I think he's a knob. But when he does his Bonnet, Monday night, Bonnet the douche. Yeah, he's an idiot. But when he um when he does his Monday night football analysis, he, he actually does offer some good analysis. Yeah, and if you've got the opportunity, Henry, yeah. there, there, there's a four or five. Don't worry about him. He's got fucking gloomy. He's talking about. But if you if you um. If you've got Hold four on. or five minutes... Thou shall not criticise the king on the Chronicles of Aguna. Yeah. Will Power went on the show after he scored like, the equaliser for um, uh, Brighton and he was just starstruck that he was being interviewed by Henri. He didn't want to talk about his equaliser. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but no, he, he did do some good analysis. You're right. Yeah, if you look at his analysis, he basically, he basically shows before the goal, which was only after like 12 minutes, how many times Tottenham were in the same position and Arsenal were in the same position, which basically just demonstrated from the outset, Tottenham's tactics was almost like they'd set up to just to play into Arsenal's hands. But watch it, because it's really interesting. And but how do you define, how do you guys define, so like you both had great, you know, one's had a good win, you've had a, a bad loss. How do you um, separate whether, because I can do it in individual sports, but I, I fail to do it in football. I can do it for a UFC box instead. I can't do it in football. How do you fail? How, sorry, how do you distinguish? Did I win because they were bad? Or did you know? Did we lose because we were bad? They were good. Like I, have, what, I can't, do, I can't, I can't look at a game and figure out which one it was at all. I think you know it's because of the team element of football. It's it's it, it, it's it's often it's often a bit of both. It, it, it's okay. often, it's often a bit of both. But all you've got all you've got to do. How shall I put it? Look, do you see what I mean? That it's a hard. This is going to sound really harsh. Arsenal, Arsenal aren't a brilliant team overnight. They might be making strides. They might end up being a being a brilliant team. And if they do, good luck to them. But even if you take two average teams, which I believe Tottenham and Arsenal are, you've only got. To, I know there's new players for Arsenal at the beginning of the season. You've only got to look at some of their performances earlier in the season to say this aren't a finished article. You look at Tottenham, they're terrible. But even if you take two average boxers and one boxer dropped his hands, the other boxer, no matter how average he is, will knock him spark out. So there's always going to be an element. Yeah. You know, this isn't like a bad boxer fighting a heavyweight. It doesn't have to be. If you've got two average sides and one is that bad, the other one will smash them apart. But they've still got to do it. So I think, I think in order to take advantage of a poor side or, or a weak team, in this case, you have to be clinical. And that's what Arsenal. That's what Arsenal were, and that's why they were three 0 up after thirty four minutes, and that's why the game was over as a contest. Mm. Agreed. Cool. Right, we will leave it there uh, because we've gone well over the hour now. But thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, big hello to everybody who is watching us live and who's stuck with us uh, throughout the hour. If you're watching this back or listening to this back later on, don't forget to uh, leave us a review on the audio platforms and subscribe to the channel if you are watching us via YouTube. Uh, I can see at the moment... Uh, that there is over 150 of you watching us currently across the multiple platforms. But we haven't got enough likes on the board. Let's just have a quick check where we are in terms of likes. It's just the 42 on the board at the moment. Let's try and get that up to as close as to 100 as we possibly can. I'll accept 75 for now. Uh, but make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe. If you want to go one further by becoming a member, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description, supporting me and the guys to bring you more Arsenal and football-related content. We'll be back tomorrow with more, including our Arsenal women's podcast, where the Arsenal women tonight 
uh, also showed that North London is red by beating Tottenham by five goals to one in the FA Cup. Go on, go on. Have you, got his have you, have you seen the under-17 score? No. That's the real quiz. I have not. That's the real quiz. I'll check it out. <laughs> go, 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 go check Fantastic. it out. It's, yeah, Spurs <laughs> under Spurs under 17s versus Arsenal Academy. That's 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 all that matters. What was the score? It was only nine nil. To who? Spurs. I wouldn't have bought it up if it was Arsenal, would I? Don't you feel bad enough misery? Yeah, yeah I was going to say. God. Yeah, because but our academy players are too good. They're playing at a higher level now. They're not interested. Not interested in that nonsense. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll catch you all very very soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. Uh, stay We've safe. We've got Harry Kane in there, right? <laughs> What has he done? I don't know. He's gone to make one of his smart, witty points and he's dropped off the stream. Brilliant. Right, we'll catch you all very soon. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.